0: Excellent! What a great morning this is. Um, did you guys all know that Christmas was two is two weeks from yesterday? I mean, I can't believe it, and it's so exciting. I love Christmas, and uh, there's there's uh, we have some people staying with us, um, going to be staying with us over the Christmas season, and they're ordering all these gifts to our house. So, like, every day new packages show up. It's really cool. I know they're not for me, but Michelle's told me I'm not allowed to open any of them. Uh, so, anyway, um, just loving the Christmas season. And, you know, our theme this year is to give the greatest gift. And uh, that's, that's on the center. And, obviously, the greatest gift is Jesus. That is God's greatest gift to us. That is the greatest gift that we could give anybody. And the Christmas season, it is so easy to be distracted from the things that really matter. And so for us as believers, man, we need to keep our focus on what it needs to be on. And so the three things that we're really going to emphasize looking forward to Christmas Eve this year are um, giving the greatest gift, and the first one is of awe and reverence. And we talked about that last week. Um, Often we can think about what God's done for us and forget that the greatest privilege any person has is to worship God with his whole heart. The fact that heaven is actually about worship. Heaven's not about us. Uh, I remember these uh, youth songs we used to sing when we would take kids to camp, and they'd say, in heaven, there's gonna be football, and there's gonna be this, and there's gonna be that, and actually, no. I mean, well, I don't know. Maybe God will allow us to do all those things, but what makes heaven great is not the streets of gold. It's not the things that we're gonna be able to do. It's that we're gonna be in God's presence and we're going to worship him unhindered and i was thinking about uh you know when 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 jesus came this is all review of last week but when jesus came and um pilate's just looking at jesus and he says are you the king of the jews and jesus says um you say i'm king of the jews it is for this reason that i came jesus came to be king to for us to reverence him and to honor him So that's what we talked about last week. But this week, we're going to talk about something amazing because God is so incredibly holy. He's so incredibly awesome. And that is only good because of what Jesus did in providing forgiveness. See, the thing is, is that that a holy God and sinful people, that's terrible. And actually, the truth is, we have to understand that. To really appreciate what God has done in forgiveness. And so I want to just share um, a a few of my favorite verses. But before we do that, I just want to remind all of us that as believers, it is so important that we think rightly about life. It is so important that we understand ourselves and that we understand Jesus because God has put us here on earth to reach the lost, to make disciples. To encourage one another to walk with him and so we the more we understand who God is and who we are the more prepared we are to represent Jesus in the lives of the people around us and so we're gonna be focusing this morning on forgiveness and love forgiveness and love and here's the thing about forgiveness Forgiveness is this necessity that we need, and we get forgiveness because God loves us. And when we receive God's forgiveness, it makes us love him. And so uh, there is this connection between forgiveness and love. And so I just want to put up a few of my favorite verses on forgiveness, and then we're going to jump into a, a Christmas passage. So these are some of my favorite verses. Psalm 103, I'm sorry, 130, uh, verses 3 and 4. It just says this. It says, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Um, That's the devastation of a sinful people and a holy God. Man, if, if that's all there was, if God kept track of your sin, man, you are in big trouble. But then it goes on and it says, but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. See, we can't fear and reverence and worship God. We would be destroyed by God's holiness. But because of forgiveness, we can reverence God. We can have fear for God. We can worship God. But that's only because God forgives us. And then um, we have uh, this next verse, Psalm 103, 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. I mean, that's, that's God's way of saying that our sin is infinitely separated from us because you can get north and you can get south, but you can't get east or west. That's just a direction that you go. It's infinite. Um, this one, Isaiah forty-three twenty-five. Oh, man, I love this one. It says, I am he who blots out your transgression for my own sake. And will not remember your sins. Um, isn't it amazing that when you sin, when you blow it, when you do things that are wrong, that God forgives you not because of you? I mean, when you just do the same dumb things over and over, and you just see this amazing frailty in your life, and you just think to yourself, "Why would God ever forgive me again? I love this because I just think about, He doesn't forgive me because of me. He forgives me because of him. That's awesome. You can't mess that up because if, if we could mess it up, we would. Uh, 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Um, isn't that awesome? Isn't that amazing promise? Um, that is the greatest gift that we could actually receive is forgiveness. And that's the greatest gift we could give at Christmas time. I just want to encourage us as, as we appra- approach life, as we're around people, as you think about your kids, as you're spending time with your family. Don't forget to think about how do I take these truths that that life really is built on, and how do I communicate those in the midst of all that's going on in our season. Now, this whole issue of forgiveness, um, you know you got to deliver some bad news for forgiveness to be important. I mean, people need to know they're sinners. <laughs> Christmas is supposed to be a joyful, happy time. We're supposed to go tell everybody they're bad. Um, you got to think that stuff through be, and think about how do I do this correctly because that is what we need to do. Um, because if we don't realize we're bad, we don't, need to, we don't realize we need Jesus. So... um uh, you know, I was thinking often, too, as we just think about this concept of forgiveness, have you ever heard somebody say, I just need to learn to forgive myself? Have you ever had somebody say to you, you just need to learn to forgive yourself? Um, there's a right and wrong way to understand that statement. It's a poorly phrased statement. I would just say you should never say that to anybody, and, and nobody should ever say that to you. But here's the, here's the issue with that. We we can judge people over making, saying phrases like that. But here's the truth. You don't need to forgive yourself. You need God's forgiveness. Um, And this is what I love about the Apostle Paul. This is something that he says. The Apostle Paul says, um, I don't judge other people and I don't judge myself. And he says, uh, as I think about myself, I have nothing against myself. I can't think of anything for which I should be judged, but that doesn't make me okay. It is God who judges me. And so Paul says, I don't judge other people, and I don't judge myself, because it's not my opinion of myself that's important. It's God's opinion of me. And so when we say things like, you need to learn to forgive yourself, what we really are meaning and should be meaning with that is you need to accept what God says about his forgiveness of you. Because sometimes God says we're forgiven, but we don't feel forgiven. And so when we say forgive yourself, it's just a way of saying we need to feel the way God tells us. What God says is true, that's how we need to feel. But that could be confusing if you think that your perception of yourself is actually what's important. Because it's not. We just embrace what God says about us. And so um, let's jump in this morning and let's, uh, let's get a Christmas story. And let's look at Luke chapter 2, verse 22 to 38. And then we're going we're to kind of zoom in, and all, all of our points are going to kind of come from a small section of this. But I want to just read this, this passage. It says in Luke chapter 2, verse 22 to 38, after Jesus is born, it says And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem, to present him to the Lord. Jesus was born into a family of parents who honored the Lord. They took him to the temple the way they were supposed to, according to the law. And then it says in verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So this whole, this whole thing of the firstborn child belongs to God. Uh, do you know where that comes from? That comes from Exodus. Um, where, um, remember when God was bringing Israel out of Egypt? And he said, um, I'm going to kill the firstborn child of everybody. And the only way you can spare yourselves from losing your firstborn child is to put blood on the sides and on the top of your door. And everybody goes, wow, that's kind of like a cross. And the truth is, is that that pointed, that whole thing pointed to Christ. But in the law, whenever somebody had a a firstborn child, they would sacrifice an animal because they're not going to sacrifice their kid. God said, replace your kid by sacrificing an animal. And so that's actually the picture, this picture of this sacrifice is was the picture of the exodus and god providing salvation and getting them out and 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 them not being accountable and just the way that god blessed them in that so that's what's happening here and then we learned something about jesus's family they were poor and they were poor because it says here um to offer what is said in, said in the law a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons and i was wondering what is the difference between a turtle dove and a dove and a pigeon so this is a picture And uh, it's on the Western Wall. So this is in Israel. This is a Jewish dove. And uh, it's in Israel. That was a joke. Um, So anyway, this is is a dove. And uh, this is a pigeon. And what I found out is that uh, doves and pigeons and turtle doves... They're all kind of in the same family. And a turtle dove and a pigeon are actually like very similar kinds of birds. And they were the offerings that poor people would make. When you go back and you read this, if you couldn't afford a lamb, then you could give that offering. Jesus grew up in a poor family. And so uh, let's continue on here. Verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation, the encouragement, this blessing that was going to come, waiting for the uh, consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. So here's a a faithful, righteous, devout man. (laughs) We're going to come back to that later. But he's waiting. And uh, the Holy Spirit's on him. So he's going to see some things and he's going to perceive some things. But we can trust what he sees and perceives because the Holy Spirit's on him. This is truth that God is actually giving. And it had been revealed to him, verse 26, by the Holy Spirit, that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And now we're going to hit the section that we're going to kind of focus on most this morning it says in verse 27 and he came in the he came in the spirit to the temple i want to just show you a picture this was this is the steps in the temple this was one of my favorite things when i went to israel because those temple steps were the steps that were there in Jesus' day that's probably where peter preached um, the Sermon on Pentecost, and they baptized everybody. And it's interesting because right below there's a bunch of baptismals. But just I was I'm standing there and I'm thinking about the fact that when when uh, Jesus's parents carried him into the temple, they possibly walked up those steps. Without a doubt, Jesus walked on those steps. What an incredible, amazing thing that you can go stand there. That these things happened in history. Um, right now there's a, there's a mosque where the temple was. So the rest of the stuff we don't have a picture of. But it says that he came in the spirit into the temple. And when his parents brought the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law. So Simeon takes Jesus and he, he, it says he took him up in his arms and he blessed God. I mean, that, that's worship. He's, oh, my goodness. He just holds Jesus. He holds him up. And he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Could you imagine? He's like, I can die. I have seen the Messiah, the, the one that people have been waiting for. Since Adam and Eve blew it in the garden, remember, in Genesis 3.15, where God says, I'm going to send a seed, the seed of the woman's going to crush the serpent's head. From the very beginning, people have been waiting for this, and he gets to see it. It's this amazing thing, and it says, my eyes have seen your salvation, and that's the point of our whole day. Why do we need salvation? What causes salvation? So that's what we'll be really examining today that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. It's for everybody, everybody needs it. And then he says um, in verse 32, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. That's if you're not a Jew. And for glory to your people, Israel. That's if you are a Jew. Uh, Just in case you don't realize, if it's for the Jews and the non-Jews, That's everyone. Verse 33. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to his mother, so Mary's excited. She's pretty happy. She's marveling at what's being said about Jesus. You know, she's already heard this from the angel, and so is Joseph. And then he he says to Mary, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pe- pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. You know, when, uh, when Jesus comes, he's telling Mary, she's sitting there thinking about this amazing thing, and Simeon just says, Mary, you are going to suffer. God is sending a Savior and there's some people are going to be blessed and lifted up by him, and other people are going to go down because of him. And you're going to be pierced to your heart. That's a reference to, to Mary having to watch what happens to Jesus as he is beaten and crucified. And, and if, you could, if you could imagine, like we hear this story so many times that it's not real to us, but if you could imagine what it would mean for a mom to watch the things happen to her kid that happened to Jesus, and, and he makes reference to that because Jesus came to be the Savior, and that includes Jesus dying. And uh, this is something that, that God tells us. It's not confusing, this whole opposition and embracing. Um, that's not a confusing thing. Uh, this is something we understand throughout Scripture. This is what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews And folly to Gentiles. So we're going to preach Christ and Jews aren't going to like it and neither are Gentiles. And Just in case you don't know, that's everyone. But there is an exception to that. There's an exception among Jews and there's also... An exception among Gentiles. And as, as we think about giving the gift at Christmas, as we think about preaching to people and sharing the gospel and helping people understand sin, this is actually something we need to understand. Because he goes on and he says, but to those who are called, both Jesus, Jews and Greeks, that means that when God is working in someone's heart, when he is calling them to himself, to those who are called, both Jews and, Cree, and, and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. See, what makes the difference between a person coming to Christ and not coming to Christ is God's work in their heart. That's why we pray for people. That's why we talk. That's why if, if in your life you have family members and friends and you share the gospel with them and everything doesn't just work out fine, it's okay, it's not your fault. You just pray that at some point God would reach in there and change their heart. And it's what gives us a confidence to preach to anybody. Because if God's working in their heart, it doesn't matter who they are, they can be saved. And so that's that's how we understand this. And Simeon says, some people are going to love Jesus and some people are going to hate him. And you're going to be suffering. And then it goes on in verse 36. And it talks about another lady, it says, And there was a prophetess Anna, the daughter of Fanuel of the tribe of Asher. And she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. We don't know how old she was when she got married, but it just says she was a virgin <laughs> when she got married, of course. And then she lived with her husband seven years, so she was married for seven years, and then her husband died, and then she went into the temple. It says, she never, let's read the rest. It says, so she did not depart from the temple. She is worshiping. She is fasting and prayer night and day. And so this is a a righteous lady and she's worshiping. That's what we talked about last week that we needed to do. And it says, in coming that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So, you know, Israel rejected Jesus, right? And the religious leaders rejected Jesus. But one of the things we see here is Simeon was waiting for Jesus. Anna was waiting for Jesus. And when she starts proclaiming Jesus... She's proclaiming to all the people who were waiting for him. There, there were Jews. You know, it wasn't just the wise men who came from afar to see Jesus. There were people in Israel. Now, Herod missed it. The Pharisees missed it. The religious leaders weren't looking for him. But Israel was full of people who actually knew God. And they were waiting and eagerly anticipating the coming of Jesus. And she went and told them, hey, he's here. And so, so that's, this is our passage and now uh, let's dig in to three things that we need to see here. And here's the first thing. Everyone needs God's forgiveness. Everybody needs it. By the way, that's the bad news of the gospel. <laughs> You're a bad person, and you are in trouble. You're a sinner, and you have no hope. Like, that's the truth. Uh, you want to know something about everybody needing forgiveness? There's not a person alive who has not been completely Affected by sin. Everything about a person has been affected by sin. The way we think has been affected by sin. The way we feel has been affected by sin. Our soul has been affected by sin. It's all been damaged. You can't trust your thoughts. You can't trust your feelings. And you can't trust your conscience or anything that's inside of you. Everything's been affected. By the way, your body's been affected. I and mean, we know that, right? Uh, that our bodies are per- affected by sin. <laughs> we think about COVID. No, that's sin. That, that's the effects of the fall. When there's earthquakes and people crash and terrible things happen, our, our whole world has been affected by sin. The physical universe, every person, the people around us sin against us. We see riots. We see sinfulness. We see, all, we see sin all over the place. Everyone needs forgiveness. Everybody needs spiritual transformation. That's why he is so excited in verse 30 when he says, I have seen your salvation. Everybody needs salvation and that it's for all people. You know, when you think about Jesus, he came to rule and be worshipped and be a king. But he also came, the Bible tells us. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that awesome? I and mean, there's terrible news that everybody's a sinner and needs to be forgiven. But the great news is that God sent Jesus on a rescue mission. And you're the one that Jesus was sent for. You know, um, this, this, this whole issue of uh, us being affected by sin and being born spiritually dead. And all, you know, you, you don't become a sinner when you, the first time you sin. Did you know that you were born a sinner? Before you did anything, you were a sinner. In fact, um, and by the way, this—all the stuff we're talking about—none of this is New Testament stuff. This stuff's all in the Old Testament, and it's also in the New Testament. It's everywhere. And this is what David says, you know, Psalm fifty-one. He's confessing his terrible sin with Bathsheba. One of the things that he says is this: He says, "Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity." And in sin, my mother conceived me. He's not saying she was sexually unfaithful, and that's why she was a sinner. He's saying, I was born a sinner. He looks at this terrible thing in his life, and I'm sure he was thinking to himself, how could I have done this? How could this happen? And he just looks back and he just goes, I'm a sinner. You know, you are not just a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. And so, um, and yes, you're also a sinner because you sin. But we're sinners apart from our behavior. We have this disposition to do what's wrong. Everybody does. You know, Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 3, we can go there, but this is in Psalms twice. God put the exact same verses, verses in Psalms two times, chapter 14 and also in chapter 53. It says, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. Nobody does good. Not even one. And then at the end, he tacks on, there's no fear or reverence for God. You know, your biggest sin is actually not the bad word that you say, the lie that you tell, the person that you treat unkindly. Your biggest sin is that you don't live your life with a sense of reverence and awe for God. I mean that's your biggest sin, and then that gets reflected everywhere else. And uh, Romans three twenty three, we all have this memorized, right? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Man, that is amazing. Let's let's look at one more verse about how everybody's a sinner. Like think about this. Ephesians chapter two verse one through three says this: "And you were dead in your trespasses and sins." In which you once walked, following the course of this world. See, we look around at the world and we think, why are there problems? It's because everybody's a sinner. And, and what's amazing is that we take this sinful world, we, we take people who have rejected God, and sometimes we look to them for political solutions. And, and we just need to recognize our world is broken. Everybody in it is broken. And even when they identify a problem and come up with a solution, they only make it worse. Um, the only hope anybody has is Christ. And uh, so it helps us understand the world. It's, you are following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Um, that's Satan. <laughs> Satan is that prince. And he's working in the sons of disobedience, all these people who don't obey Christ. Are we surprised there's problems? Uh, are you surprised you have problems? No, you shouldn't be. You see, this, this, all of this, doesn't it make sense of the world? Doesn't it make sense of you? Doesn't it make sense of your kids? Doesn't it make sense how we can go off to Christmas this wonderful beautiful time where we're buying each other gifts and we're celebrating and there can be all kinds of fights and conflicts and there could be people there we don't like and doesn't it make sense of the fact that sometimes we come to church and the people that God says we're supposed to love we're irritated by it's like we try to avoid certain people well it's because we're broken and we're sinful and that's not what God intends from us but that's the truth and it says this in verse 3 among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Read Revelation. Read everything that God says about hell, eternal suffering, um, how Jesus says, don't fear those who kill your body. Fear the one who will kill your body and soul in hell. Think about all that. That's, that's what it means to be um, a children a, a child of wrath. And we live in this world where we try to sanitize Christianity. We want to sanitize Christmas. and Don't talk about hell. Don't talk about sin. Don't talk about judgment. I just want you to know that if you approach life that way, you are robbing everybody in your life. And you are robbing yourself because you'll never understand the value, the power of forgiveness if you don't actually understand your need for it. See, we don't do that to beat up on people and discourage people. We just do that to tell them the truth. Hey, you need help. It's like a person who's drowning who doesn't know they're drowning. I remember one time I took people surfing and I'm out in the water and I'm swimming, and all of a sudden I realized I was just swimming. I was trying to body surf, and I got pulled out a little too far. And I'm trying to get back in, and I, I can't get back in. And I'm fine, <laughs> but I'm thinking to myself, you know, I'm about to drown. And uh, I'm not sure what to do. And all of a sudden I see this, well, this lifeguard must have had binoculars, and he's a pretty good guy. It's down in San Diego that this happened. this guy swims out. And when I saw him swimming, out I'm thinking, oh, good. And he tossed me the little thing. I, I was not out of breath. I was still doing physically fine. But I, I, I was moments away from being in real trouble. And when he threw me that thing, I grabbed it. And he towed me into where my feet could get on the ground. And then he swam. He didn't even embarrass me by taking me all the way to the beach. He just, <laughs> he just put me in a spot where I would be OK. But could you imagine a person thinks they're okay, doesn't realize they're about to drown, and is not willing to reach out for that thing? See, everybody needs forgiveness. You know, when you think about our story, like this is one of the things to think about as you consider this story. You got Simeon, he is a righteous and a devout man. Why is he so excited? Why is he waiting for the the consolation of Israel? Why is he so excited about it? He's a righteous and devout person. He's okay, right? What about Anna? Man, she's dedicated her whole life to serving in the temple. She worships. I mean, that's what we're supposed to do, right? So she worships. She prays with fasting night and day. That's not saying she does it all night and all day. It just says all the time. Sometimes at night, sometimes during the day, like this is just a habit of her life. She's always worshiping. She's always living with reverence. And yet she is so excited and wants to go tell everybody. Why? Aren't these good people? Like why are they so excited? And that's because what we actually understand is that the most righteous person you know, and Anna and Simeon were terrible people. That They were sinners. They were to be separated from God. God's wrath would be poured out on them. They would be separated from God forever. Like they were terrible people. The best person you've ever met is a horrible person. And you know, when Jesus is explaining this, he tells a story about this publican and this Pharisee. And he actually tells a story, and he's telling the story because these religious leaders are judgmental toward people. And he says, one guy prays and just says, I'm so glad I'm not like that guy. I do all these good things, and I tithe and all this stuff. Man, that's awesome. Sounds like coming through the sound system. Um, that's it's, it's okay, too. That's kind of fun. That's nice music. It's, this is an important part. Um and uh, But Jesus says, you know, this guy, he thinks he's righteous. And then he goes on and he says, there's this, this publican and the sinner who's not willing to look up to God. They won't even look up to heaven. He just looks down. He's beating his chest. And he's saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, that guy went away justified, not the other one. See, Simeon and Anna, you want to know why they were righteous? They were only righteous because they knew they were terrible. Uh, Anybody who doesn't realize they're terrible, they're the ones God doesn't forgive. God forgives people who recognize that they are terrible and that they need God's help, that they need forgiveness. Everybody needs forgiveness. And if people grow up in your home, And if your friends that you're sharing the gospel with don't know they're terrible, they could never be saved. And by the way, that's a problem with like the whole self-esteem thing. The most important thing for us to do is let's just get our kids and tell them you're beautiful and God doesn't make any junk. And we raise people and we separate them from the gospel. Instead of saying to our kids and instead of saying to people around us, Yeah, see there how you were selfish with your sister and you wanted the toys for yourself? Man, you're a pretty bad kid. Or um, you know how you got up all day, you you don't just naturally worship God. That's that's pretty bad. And instead of raising people and helping them understand their sinfulness and their need for the gospel. Man, we don't do that. Because you know the world system and the satanic system? We buy into all the things the psychologists tell us. Instead of thinking about what God has told us. So everybody's a sinner. And uh, when we know that, man, we are in good shape. And that's because of our second point, And that is that forgiveness is found only in Christ. Everyone needs forgiveness. And um, forgiveness is found only in Christ. See, that's the good news. We're in trouble and you couldn't save yourself. But God, the one that you need to be forgiven by, he said, I'm going to make a way for you to be forgiven. I'm going to send myself. Jesus is God, a member of the Trinity, and God decided to become a man and to die on the cross and fix your problem with God. See, if you had to fix it, you're in trouble. You have no hope. You can't do that. But God fixed it. Isn't that exciting? Isn't that awesome? Because God doesn't mess up. I I, I am he who... Who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake? Oh, good. I'm not in this equation. So I can't mess it up. It's God who did it, and it's powerful. And uh, so we look at this in verse uh, 27. This is such good news. When we understand the bad news, then this becomes such good news. And it just says in verse 30 For my eyes have seen your salvation. It's God's salvation. He sent Jesus to provide forgiveness. You know, that, of course, is not a New Testament message. In Jeremiah 23, 5, talks about um, this coming king, the Messiah, the Christ. And look what it says at the end. The Lord is our righteousness. That's Jesus' name. That's this Messiah's name is that God is our righteousness. We are not our righteousness God is our righteousness. We get the credit for Jesus' life. Or how about Isaiah 53-4? Have you ever heard somebody say in the Old Testament you were forgiven by works, but now in the New Testament we're forgiven by grace? That is what people who don't read the Bible say. You read the Old Testament. That's not what it says. All the sacrifices point to what Jesus is going to do. They help us understand how God's going to provide salvation. Do you know why? Anna and Simeon and the wise men and all these Jews were waiting for the consolation of Israel because all those people read the Old Testament. They all knew there's a coming Messiah that I need that's going to provide my forgiveness. And uh, how about Isaiah 53? Doesn't that sound kind of New Testament if you read this? Surely He has borne our griefs, He carried our sorrows. We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us. See, that's what happened with the sacrifices. The lambs is Israel sinned, and then they killed a lamb for it. And that was the picture of this lamb who would come. And so Jesus died for us. And we see that in the, all the birth narratives, right? Matthew 1.21, she'll bear a son. You'll call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Luke 2, 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. <laughs> and uh, just in case we're confused, there's no other way. It's just Jesus. And Jesus told us that. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's just Jesus. There's not lots of religions There's not good intentions. You don't find the same God in all religions. Nope. There's one. There's one way. Jesus said there's a wide road that leads to destruction. You got atheists and every religious person on that wide road. And then there's a narrow way that leads to life. And those are the people following Jesus. That's it. And so God took all these people who needed forgiveness and he provided forgiveness in Christ, the only way. And then here's the amazing thing. See, we want, don't we want people to feel loved? I mean, we don't want to go to Christmas and tell people they're bad. Um, we want people to know God loves you. And that's an important message, but actually it's a muted message. It, it is an empty message. If we don't understand those other things, you can't preach about God's love to people. Because they'll never understand how much God loves them. Like I I remember as a new believer and I grew up in church, I learned lots of stuff, but I did really well in sports when I was in high school and I had lots of friends and, you know, I I did really well at work. I did really well in some other ways. And I kind of remember thinking, you know, when I was a young person, new believer, decided I was going to go into ministry and I'd look around at some people that weren't that good at ministry. And then I saw some other people that were really good at ministry And I just thought, man, I am going to be so good at ministry. (laughs) I'm going to be one of the famous people. Like, I remember I interviewed for a job. (laughs) I interviewed for a job. And I go to this, I go to my boss when I was becoming an electrician. And I'm 18 years old, and I don't know anything. And there's these guys who have been working for him for, like, 25 years. And uh, they're they're older, like, 50-year-old people. And they've been doing electrical work for years. And so I show up in my job interview... And I say to this guy, within a year, you should hire me because I'm good at what I do. I work hard. I learn fast. And uh, within a year, I'm going to be the best person you have working for you. (laughs) Isn't that a little arrogant? (laughs) For an 18-year-old that says, yeah, I'm just starting. I don't know anything about this. But I'm looking around at these guys. Yeah, they're 40, 50, doing it for 20 years. It's going to take me a year to be better than them. But I'll be there. And that's actually how I felt about my Christianity, too. I felt like God was kind of lucky to have me on his team. (laughs) So then I actually get hired (laughs) in this church to do youth ministry. And I'm sure that that attitude kind of came out and some people saw that. But, man, my first few years of ministry were pretty, pretty bad. I was in a church that was really struggling in spiritual leadership. And... Nobody liked me. In fact, I remember, I mean, not, not that nobody liked me. There was people who were gracious and they loved me anyway. But I just remember being at this church. And I remember thinking, no matter what I do, it's wrong. People complain. Uh, I'd have some big problem. And I'd say, okay, um, I did this. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to do this instead. So then I would do that. It caused just many problems. I thought, oh, that, that was bad. I'm going to try doing this. And then I would do that, and it caused just many problems. People were just as mad. Like, nothing worked. And I remember one time thinking, you know, we were a few, a few miles away from this Christian college. And I was just thinking, man, I just need to find some college students to come join staff. And I'm going to ask them what to do because college students all know everything. And I obviously know nothing. And I actually was feeling like I need somebody with some confidence who could tell me something. And I think that that was God's grace and kindness in my life, just helping me realize, um, no, actually, you're not spectacular, and I'm not lucky to have you on my team. Um, You're lucky to be on my team. And when you figure that out, maybe I'll start helping you with your ministry. But, you know, see, that's the thing is that if we don't actually understand that, we don't appreciate God's grace and goodness. And, and every time in ministry something goes well for me, I just go away going, man, God, thanks. Every time I see good things happen in the church, it's like, man, God, thank you. You're so good. And when we understand that we're sinners and that Jesus is the only way, man, it it helps us understand how much God loves us and it actually makes us love God. Let me show you just a few things and then we'll wrap up here. But John 3, 16, you guys all know this verse, right? For God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. See, that love is so powerful when you actually realize you're not that lovable. I mean, you're made in God's image and that's good. But other than the fact that you're made in God's image, there's not a lot to you. Like what you have to offer is actually not good. And so God loves you and you are made in his image and you do have value and you are worth more than animals and you are worth more than anything else. But it's because you're made in God's image that's why he loves you. It's not because you're amazing and God doesn't make junk and, and just let's stand in front of a mirror and tell yourself how wonderful you are. No. Um, God loves you. This holy, awesome, amazing, powerful God loves you. And he sent Jesus to die for you. Man, that is awesome. Ephesians chapter 2 says it this way. It just talked about how bad people were and how they were dead, right? But then it says this in verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, Even when we were really cool and God wanted us on our team. No, wait. It says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, like in heaven, God's going to save you so that in heaven, It says, in the coming ages that he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ. Isn't that amazing that for all eternity, um, God is going to demonstrate to us how much he loves us? Man, that is powerful. That's exciting. That's fulfilling. Man, that is something really good. But it's not good. Unless it's laid on the backdrop of who we are without Christ, where we're headed without Christ. Do you remember the story? Not only does understanding sin and all these things help us understand how much God loves us. But you know it's the thing that makes us love him. Have you thought about that? It's why we love God. So Jesus is sitting at this dinner with all these Pharisees and their prideful, arrogant, judgmental people. And this prostitute this lady with all kinds of a sinful history comes in starts crying wiping jesus's feet with her hair and the pharisees say oh my goodness this guy's supposed to be a prophet he's supposed to be god he's letting this lady touch him man if he was really god he'd cast her out and jesus just says to them hey i uh, Let me tell you a story. There's two guys, and one owns a lot. One owes this guy a lot. Another owes this guy a little. And the guy forgives them both. Who loves him more? And they say, well, I guess the guy that he forgave the bigger debt to. And then Jesus says this. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she she loved much. But he who's forgiven little loves little. See, if you don't help people actually understand how sinful they are and how much God has forgiven them, they're never going to love God. And and if you don't understand what God's done in saving you, you are not going to love God very much. Think about how important that is for us to see this and understand it. And think about what. This is the crazy thing with, with, if we understand life the way God tells us to understand it. This is what's so amazing about it. Think about this. You sin. <laughs> that's wrong. It's destructive. It brings bad things into your life. And the conviction of the Holy Spirit and understanding of God's holiness and understanding of your weakness makes you repent. God, that's terrible. I don't want to be judged. I've dishonored you. I need to repent, which repentance is to recognize what sin is and turn away from it. It's not just, oh, yeah, this is cool. Hey, God, forgive me. Uh, Forgive me for tomorrow. I'm going to do this tomorrow and also on Thursday, so forgive me on Thursday as well. Um, No, repentance is saying, God, I hate sin, and I don't want to do that, And, and God, will you please forgive me for it? I don't deserve it. And so you repent, and then God forgives you, and that makes you love God. Well, what did Jesus say about obedience? If you love me, you'll obey me. So isn't it cool how God's made this thing that even when you sin, if you think and function biblically, it actually results in you not sinning? Like God has just created this incredible thing. As long as we think about life correctly and approach it correctly, God blesses us even when we sin. You know, that's Romans 8. You know, that God works everything to the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. And sometimes our problem in Christianity is we break that chain. We break what sin is. We break the need for forgiveness, for repentance. We, we break then what it means to love God. And we wonder why do we all struggle with obeying God? It's because we don't think about things and present things to people in the way God says. We don't understand ourselves and others the way God tells us to understand ourselves and others. Which is why at Christmas, man, we want people to be loved. And so the thing that we can do is give the greatest gift. and That's a gift of forgiveness. To proclaim Christ. There is no greater gift than understanding that God provides forgiveness for people who really need it. And so we're not gonna beat up on people. We're not gonna be prideful and judgmental, but we're not gonna skip what matters in this Christmas season. We're gonna give the greatest gift. And I just wanna say something else. This is just like a parting thing for all of us. When we understand all these things and we live it out, the church is the most gracious, the most loving, the most encouraging place to be. And when we forget this stuff, the church is kind of hard on people. And when we forget this stuff, we're kind of hard on people. So let's embrace this in our families and let's see the Lord work in people's hearts. Now let's not beat up on each other and let's pray for people that are struggling and let's not be surprised if you think about your life, man, I've been blowing it, okay. (laughs) Join the club, that's all of us, like this shouldn't be a shock, we shouldn't need to hide it and be embarrassed about it, I mean, that's life. But Jesus provided for that and let's give that gift this year. Lord, thank you so much for your kindness, for your love, for your forgiveness. And Lord, the truth is anything that ever good that happens to us, or through us is really your work and Lord we we struggle and so many lessons we should have learned we haven't learned yet and yet Lord what a great example to our family and friends and our kids for us to just be able to be open about those things and to talk about how we think about them and to communicate to the people around us the way we think about ourselves and the way that we approach life and God I pray that we would do that informing ourselves with your word, these treasures of truth that you've given us in your name. Amen.